I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today, I'm here with Adrian Smooth. Adrian has been investing in real estate since 2002 when he became an accidental landlord, which is not a, not an uncommon story that we hear on, on this podcast. Um, but I'm actually really excited for this episode. Adrian will be the first guest that I've had on that uh, invests in mobile home space. So really excited. Like I said, before we started recording, Adrian, I'm probably going to ask you some dumb questions, but uh, appreciate all of the explanation you can give us. And, and first off, sorry, uh, thank you for coming on the show today. I appreciate you having me. And you know, there, there is no dumb question unless the one you don't ask. That's the yeah. only yeah. one. Good, good point. Um, so why don't we just get started? Give us maybe a little bit of your background, you know, maybe even tell us what that accidental landlord story was and then kind of how you got your way into the mobile home space. Well, a quick story is I started as a tenant, a really, really bad tenant, like the one that had spaghetti wrestling parties, mud wrestling parties. I mean, we got eviction notice after eviction notice. One of my favorite ones was for, for my friend parking the motorcycle inside the house. <laughs> and I'm in central Florida in between Tampa and Orlando. And yeah. his reasoning was he didn't want to wait for it to warm up. So the Northern investors, listeners, they're going to be laughing at that idea that it gets cold enough for a motorcycle to warm up. Right. But that was it. You know, we were young and dumb. So after getting evicted again, I bought a house. I had a family member as a mortgage broker. He said, buy a house. So back then you didn't need to do anything but sign a piece of paper and they gave you a house. And I moved all my friends in that helped me get evicted. And that went great. I lived for free. And a few years later, I said, well, why don't I do this again and buy another house? Well, that one I bought losing a little bit every month. And I had what was called an adjustable rate mortgage. So, you know, they could change the mortgage rate, which meant my payment would change, but losing a little bit every month. Well, I bought it at the top of the market. So value started going down. Knowing nothing about the industry, I would have assumed my rate would go down. Well, it actually went up. So my property value was going down. My payment was going up. So I'm losing more every month. The whole plan was to quote unquote, refinance in two years because everything goes up you can't lose. Right. Yeah. Well, we know how that ended. Uh, for me, it ended in a short sale. Uh, I held on a lot longer than I should have. It dinged my ego. It dinged my credit. And really, it was just embarrassing. That was, I think, why I held so long. I didn't want to be wrong. But circling back, we'll fast forward years. I bought some more houses and... We were doing well. You know, I convinced my girlfriend to buy them because banks liked her. But that, that remembering of the, the embarrassment and being wrong just kind of came back. And I didn't want it to happen again. So I started getting a little scared. Didn't know if I was getting the right returns. Ended up at Aria, And that's when the magic really started happening. I fell in love with the education there. 
and I fell in love with the networking. And I started talking to the seasoned investors, the one that doesn't really have any hair. If they do, it's like shiny and gray. And he and she, they talked about mobile homes. So since then, I have sold off all of my site-built homes and bought mobile homes with the land. And we rent them out as cash flow. That's where I'm at today. I'm speaking, traveling, having fun with the life that the cash flow allows. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm guessing that the short sales short sales story kind of happened around 2008, 2009 area. Yeah. Yeah. So I, not I need to go uncommon. back and actually look, but I, I believe I held it for like two years. I was advised by that family member, hey, you should sell. This isn't going to be a quick thing. And I said, no, I'm right. <laughs> yeah. I was really yeah. wrong. I even a tried to work with a bank and they weren't, they weren't having it. They weren't. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people got caught up in that. That you're certainly not alone there. That was a, a, a bad time in real estate for many, many people. Um, but I mean, I think the stories like that also kind of point to the fact that, you know, people that are entrepreneurial and and invest in real estate think like you'll find a way through it. You, you can have that setback, but that you just you took that and you learned from it and you realize, OK, well, I can't I can't approach this with a, you know, sort of can't go wrong sort of mentality. You have to actually start looking at the numbers a little bit. And, but it, but, but then, you know, obviously it can, you just described, you know, now you have a, a good lifestyle living on the cash flow from your investments. So it, it makes total sense. So let, let's, let's dive in on the mobile home investing and, and kind of maybe just start with what that means to you. What, what you know, if people want to get into mobile home investing, what, what are the different avenues that that can be maybe describe some of that a little bit i believe there's three different ways to invest in mobile homes one you own a mobile home park so you own everything uh, people run them two different ways they either own the homes and the land so essentially a flat apartment complex really right. you own it all or you own just the dirt and the people that live in the home own the home and they pay every month to park it there so in that manner they own a big parking lot I do not own any parks. I, I've looked at them. The big parking lot style sounds attractive to me because getting paid to have a parking lot sounds pretty easy. Sounds yeah. like less work, but that is not fully in my vision of what I want my future life to look like anymore. Another way to invest in them is you own just that home within that park. So you own just the 10 box. You pay someone every month for the right to park it there. And then you would sublet it or rent it out to someone else or sell it to someone on payments. I've done a few of those. They're really good ROI. I don't like the fact that I lose control because that park manager really makes all the control, the rules and everything for that area. And then the other way, which is in between seems to be this hidden forgotten area. That's the space I'm really in. I buy the home and the dirt together. It's a little single unit mobile home and the dirt and I rent it out. So I own the land and the home and we rent them out. This can be in a neighborhood that maybe they're quarter acre lots. It could be little slivers of land, but everyone owns their own, just like a, any other neighborhood. I'm over explaining this because I get a lot of people like still not understand the concept that it can be just like any neighborhood, but the structure is a mobile home versus a wood frame versus a concrete block. Uh, structure. And it also could be an acre, two, three acres. 
it's anywhere in between there, but that's my real niche. I like the home and land privacy. I'm really in the single family uh, rental market. I just have a different structure. No, I, I appreciate that explanation. I, I've honestly never heard of the, the mo, you know, owning the park. And then I've heard the debate about whether or not it's good to own the actual homes or just the plots. And then you, you know, let people own their home and park it and you rent out the land. Like I've heard that debate and that, that owning the parking lot style, as you said, is, is kind of the, the better way to go. You don't have to upkeep the, the homes themselves. Um, but I have not heard, I guess I just don't know. I didn't know there were mobile home kind of single family style type neighborhoods. So I, maybe I just didn't know those exist. Um, is that, is that a common thing? I, you said you're in Florida. Like, is that specific to Florida or I just don't know that I've ever seen it anywhere. You know, we have tons of them in Florida. I have not pulled any statistics, but I do believe we have more than a lot of other areas, but they are everywhere. Every state I've driven through, I have seen them. They are a little bit more in the rural areas. Uh, I know around here, the cities don't want them because they get higher tax dollars when you build a bigger structure that goes up. Sure. So the city's encouraged now to get rid of them. But my market is more rural and they're everywhere. I think if people started driving around outside their cities and started looking for them now that you know, you're listening to this, they're going to maybe pay attention a little bit more. And you'll, you'll find them. I mean, they've been in Alaska since the fifties. And if they were able to get mobile homes in Alaska and people not freeze to death, I don't understand how they did it, but if that's possible, they're everywhere. Less common in some areas, more common in others. Yeah. That, that makes total sense. So if, if, if we look at it from that, you know, I guess single family home model and you're in these neighborhoods and Maybe talk about what are the differences? What what do you consider to be, why wouldn't you do, why would you choose that over say, just doing single family home, you know, in, in place structure type homes? A lot of reasons I do it. One of them is exactly the conversation we're having right now. Very successful investors have not heard of and don't understand it, my little niche. So they don't participate in it. So less competition is one reason. Yeah. Uh, Another reason, and it's the biggest reason, is the cash flow. It's higher cash flow. That's partially because less competition. It's partially because financing is an issue. It all depends on the year, and we can touch on how we finance them in the different years. And they, especially in my area, because we have hurricanes, they're higher risk because they're not site built. So if they're not properly strapped down, they're going to become a hurricane missile, or if you're out West, the tornado magnet there, they are a little higher risk and higher risk should be higher reward. Right. But if we do our research and educate, you know, we can become comfortable if, if that's what it is. But the biggest piece is the cash flow is why I got attracted to them. Okay. Well, since you brought it up, I was going to ask you about the financing on these. I, I, I'd imagine it's not exactly the same as a single family house or commercial real estate in general. So how, how are you doing that? In general, our big banks, they say they will finance 20 years and newer. Uh, I've never used them, but that is one method. If you're going to go the bank route, the community banks, the credit unions, the small ones that are local and they actually would know your name. 
most of them have told me they will go back to this magic date of June 15th, 1976. And that is a magic date because that is the year that the federal government, HUD, said, you have to have a standard that you build these things. Before that, it's kind of the wild, wild west. They built them out of toothpicks and they were really affordable housing. I mean, you could hear through all the walls. The whole house would hear me talking right now. Yeah. Uh, so they made a standard then. Now, the standard has changed throughout the years, but that's the year I've never heard of an institutional lender go back before that. Now, a lot of them still don't go back that far because they want everything brought up to code. And bringing it up to code sometimes will cost you more than the home's worth. I have found it pretty easy to get owner financing. And it's because the people that live in them bought with owner financing or they already understand you can't get bank financing. When I used to market and go after the single family space, the site built homes, I would try to get owner financing. I always got pushback. Why don't you go to a bank? I don't get that pushback anymore because people already kind of understand the concept. And then the other way would be private money. They do produce a higher rate of return. As you're starting out with private money, it's easier to get your first private money if you can pay them even more. And mobile homes allow a higher rate to be paid out. You know, we start out paying very high rates because people took the risk on me for the very first time like that. And now they're down to, I would say, really the standard, what a lot of my friends are paying for private money for a site built home, but I have the mobile home. I mean, that's a, a great explanation. I guess the, the seller financing thing is, it's not necessarily, it hasn't been common, uh, maybe outside of the mobile home space. It hasn't been common in recent years, in large part because bank financing was so cheap. We may be, with what's happening in the debt market right now, we may be returning to a point where people are going to start looking at that seriously and, and using seller financing more more commonly than it had been for a little while. And I would imagine, you know, once you get kind of familiar with that, and, and it sounds like you're using that pretty regularly in your deals, once you get familiar with that, then then that those conversations are easier to have. It may, you know, it's like you can talk about them from an educated perspective and say, hey, this is what I've done on these other 10 deals. Like this is how this works. This is how we structure Mm -hmm. it. And so those sellers are going to be more comfortable than if you just walk up to them and say, do you think you want to do seller financing (laughs) and don't have any, any, you know, sort of parameters to, to even suggest to to start that conversation. And I'll give you a few tips that I use and some friends use right there. And this won't be just for mobile homes. It's really for anything you're negotiating with. I don't use the term seller financing. I use the term payments because seller financing sounds a little complicated. It sounds like a lot's going on there and financing implies interest and payments doesn't even bring that topic up. So I like to start at zero and have you talk me up and I've started there before and people quoted the wall street journal and said three and a half percent. And I had to hold myself back from saying yes. Cause yeah. I'm, sounds, I'm, I'm perfect. sounds perfect. Yeah. yeah. You know, but, and, and let, let's look at that. From the seller's perspective, if they were going to put it in the bank, which is what this lady was going to do, she was going to get a half percent. So right. I'm paying her 3% more than she was going to be getting. Yeah. And it helps really keep her on a budget. She's retired. 
So she can't overspend her money even by mistake, you know, it depends on how financially sound she is, but she gets that monthly payment that she is for sure with. And I have some friends that use that idea is I will pay you eight times what you're getting in your savings account right now, or 10 times what your savings account is. They go those routes and you're really, I believe helping that seller lose less even to inflation or keep par with inflation. And I just personally like to pay a person. It feels a little bit better than paying a a bank. No, it makes total sense. And I mean, it's a fantastic point that if that person was to just, you know, because probably I'm I'm guessing, you know, you're not buying a lot of these from like institutional investors. They're just someone who had this mobile home and they're ready to sell it. Just like if someone was really ready to sell their site built home. And so, you know, you're buying it from them. They probably didn't even consider the fact that they could make more money on it by collecting some part of interest. And yeah, if they put it in the bank, like even if you find the highest yield savings account, like you might get to one and a half percent, like it's not gonna, they're not Mm -hmm. gonna get, they're not gonna get much out of it. And and yeah, especially with inflation right now, they're just, they're just losing that money. So they might as well get payments for however, how long are you typically financing them for? Really, that's the number I solved for. So I've taken a decent amount of class on that financial calculator. The one that in high school, like I, all I did with it is played games. I could play Tetris on it. So I never actually learned how to use it in high school. And now I have, but I solved for the, the term. How much can I afford a month? We talk about that. We talk about the rate if they bring it up and I will offer them on whatever their asking price is. I really don't care what that is because if they're going to get the asking price, I'm going to get the payment amount. And then we solve for how many months that is. If it's three years, 10 years, 17.23 years. I mean, I really solve for that. I don't care how long I care that I can make money very safely. If it at the lower rates or anything like that, I'm very conservative there because of that short sale that kind of lingers in my back of my head. And then their payment or their purchase amount. Yeah. Yeah. And the concept of, of sort of your price, my terms is, is one that I've heard a lot in, uh, you know, sort of business and real estate negotiating where it's like, sure, I'll pay you what you want, but here, but you can only do that if you're doing seller financing, right? You can't, you can't tell the bank what you're going to pay for terms, right? (laughs) So yeah, it's, they'll laugh at you and send you on your way. It's, it's, uh, it's, in that environment of seller financing that you can really have the ability to negotiate those terms. So that's, that's pretty great. Um, so your with these, your goal is just kind of long-term hold. You're just, you know, kind of living off the cash flow. Exactly. I run my numbers off cash flow. Uh, I do have another value that I put in there. It's a headache value. So is this property going to attract someone that's going to be calling all the time? And, or is this a property that well, kind of like the one in my little virtual background here that has most of its siding? Like, is it a property that's going to be consistently needing maintenance on it over and over and over again? Those are headaches to me. And if I have to deal with a headache, I want to get paid more because that's not part of my business plan and my lifestyle that I want phone calls all the time. So I really value them those two ways. People are always going to ask, well, don't they depreciate in value? Yeah, they technically do. 
my stuff has doubled and tripled over the last few years. And it really comes back to supply and demand. You can try to get an appraisal value off of these things. And if you can actually get that done, and I'm talking about like the 1960s, 1970s, when you get into the 80s, it's gray, the 90s and newer, you could probably get an actual appraisal. Mm -hmm. But these older ones, if you could get an appraisal, it might give you the value. But people are, are buying a cash flow. So it's kind of like a dividend stock. Maybe we'll pay more than an appraiser is going to officially say it's worth. But that's because I'm going to get 15% return. I mean, would you pay overpay for something at 15%? Yeah, uh, yeah so would I. Yeah. yeah. And so and I really price... look at the cash flow. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I really look at the cash flow. You know, the people that want to stick with the value, what, how do I get an actual value? I will consider what the land is worth, the dirt underneath it. And that's a whole other topic that can go down. You know, what is it? What is a septic worth on it? Is there, are there impact fees? Is there a well? Is it already connected to public utilities? The development idea. So you kind of get a value all there. But what is the dirt worth? I have dirt that's worthless. And it's probably going to be worthless when I die one day. And I have dirt that is worth a lot. It's in the path of progress already. And I call those my lotto ticket. A builder is going to come by one day and say, I want your land. Yeah. And that's my lotto ticket. But it has to cash flow between now and then. I won't buy it unless it cash flows because that's that's what I do. I'm a cash flow investor. That's how I live. That's how I eat. That's how I travel. That's how I bought the audio equipment we're talking on right now. I mean, that is yeah. my life. It comes from cash flow, not from other things. Yeah. And it, so you mentioned 15%. Is that kind of what you're aiming at as your uh, return projections? I know you said there's there's some variables there. If you have, you know, the headache factor, you might want higher, but, but what are you kind of looking for when you look at these deals? You know, I, and I hate throwing out a, a return like that because people can get yield sick and they won't do it. If it's 14%, if I said 15, right. some of the viewers, listeners are going to say, Oh, well, it's only 14%. 14 is great. Right. Uh, so yes. I shoot for probably 15 to 20%, honestly. But I did just buy something recently that's 12. I liked the area. It has low headache value to me. I like the dirt. It kind of has a lotto ticket. Now, again, I'm in hurricane country. So I don't believe at buying these at single digits. A 1960s is not going to be as secure with a hurricane, even though they've been there. They've been there longer than I've been alive. They've been through more hurricanes than I've been through. But there's still not as secure uh, a structure. So I want a higher return for that besides the headache value. I have bought stuff, the home and land up in the 30%. You know, you get lucky. I don't go after only those, but I believe in the baseball analogy. I go for singles and every once in a while I might see a double. And then one time those just turn into a home run. And I never realized it when I was buying it. That's how I've invested. I, I invest very conservative. Let's just get good numbers. And every time, once or not every time, every once in a while, I'm surprised because I run my numbers real conservative. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's the perfect way to invest, right? Like if, if you, if you're shooting for 12% and you end up at 20, that's awesome. If you're yeah. shooting for 20% and you end up at 12, you're going to be disappointed, even though 
12 is still a better return yeah. than you can get just about anywhere else. So you, you always protect for that downside. You, you know, kind of look at what's, what's my worst case scenario. Like you said, I guess the worst case scenario is your mobile home gets sucked up in a, in a hurricane and blown away in a hurricane, but <laughs> there's, there's in, in returns. And if that's your, you know, cash flow percentage, that's really good. And it, it's, it, it, that's nothing to be, be upset about it. Even, even at 12%, I would just, I was curious, you know, kind of what the range was. So that's, you know, yeah. fits and in I, with I will, many other things. I do want to put one more little thing within this topic. And again, we're talking about returns. So it's not just mobile home specific, right. but sometimes we can get a yield sickness. I've heard it called where we only focus on the return on investment. But would I take, you know, some very thin 20% returns where I'm really getting $100 a month? Or maybe I want a 12% return that I'm getting $1,000 a month. Yeah. You know, at some point, I want less is more. I want more cash flow, less properties. Yeah. And that's really where I'm at now. I'm looking to upgrade the portfolio, get rid of some of the headache properties. We're in a good market where I can do that. I'm very fortunate mm -hmm. I'm doing that at this market. And buying properties that should attract long, long-term residents that are going to stay there forever. Yeah. create less headaches for me and I can enjoy life. Yeah, no, I mean, and it, that's a fantastic analogy and because you could apply that literally to essentially every single real estate asset class because it happens in, happens in multifamily, right? You start out, you know, you're trying to get started. Most people are buying a little bit smaller properties. Maybe they're buying C-class as you move along, now you're you're going from 50 unit to 100 to 300 unit. Now you're going B class to A or C class to B class to A class, because you're just trying to get rid of that headache factor, right? It's it's not it's not really harder to manage or buy or really do anything for a bigger, nicer property mm -hmm. than it is for the small one. It's really probably the opposite, right? The work the, there's more work on the small ones, so. If you can get, you know, like you said, if your percentage is 12%, but you're actually making more cash flow, who cares, right? At the end of the day, it's not, it's, it's not necessarily that that return number isn't always vitally important. You have to look at the whole picture, right? So I love that. I love that analogy. So I, I was just talking to someone about um short-term rentals, we're, we're looking at potentially adding those to the portfolio. I was talking to the, to the broker and he was like, do you want to do condos, townhouses? Do you want, I'm like, no, I don't want, I don't want to get, you know, 30 condos. I'd rather just get, you know, five nice luxury rentals that are just going to have a higher gross income and I have less management headaches. So I, it, it makes total sense. I mean, that, your strategy could be applied to everything. So I, I love that. And speaking of management, are you sort of self-managing all this? Is, is that what you're, how you're handling it at this point? Yeah, I self-manage and I'm like this rare person in the real estate world that I enjoy the management side. I have seen a lot of people get into the real estate game and they actually don't enjoy management. They, they want the passive income. They think they're good at it and they really don't enjoy it. I'm weird. I enjoy it. We've created a pretty good system. I took from a lot of my mentors, took a lot of their stuff and we have a pretty rough system to get into, but we really start with the end in mind. Who is that avatar person that's going to live in our property? 
when you think of everything about that property or that person and then buy a property and rehab it to make them happy. They're our client. I mean, they're who are going to pay us. They're, yeah. they're the actual asset, not the home because the home doesn't pay us any money unless that person's there. Yeah. And if I could find that right person and I say that right person, it's the right person for me. That's really what it is. Like we get along the best. doesn't mean they're the wrong person or you're going to have a different person you relate with. And I do everything I can now to, like I said, rehab by our system is set up for that person. So they're very happy. And if they're real happy and I'm real happy, we're going to have a really long relationship. Like yeah. my goal is to beat 32 years of one person in there. And because John Schaub is one of my mentors, and I believe he's one of my mentors that has the longest streak. I think it's 32 years. I, I got to start that now. That's a very to long get that tenant. Yeah. A street. Yeah. That's a very long tenant. Um, when you're, so you, you mentioned rehabbing. So you, you are kind of buying these and, and rehabbing them uh, before you rent them out. Yeah. So that avatar for me is a blue collar handyman, handy woman. We specialize more in a, we'll say a handyman special. We make them safe and livable, but we keep them ugly because we want the person to come in and say, Hey, could I paint? And I say, yes, because I will tell you my weakest part of real estate is the rehab. That's why I can't fix and flip. I've done one accidental fix and flip. I'm not good at it. I'm not good at getting the numbers. Uh, you know how I actually, I really get my numbers right. If it's not a big rehab, I take my guess and I buy really good returns. So when I'm wrong, it turns into a good return. I'm better at getting a great return than I am at getting my rehab numbers right. So I just focus on what I'm really good at and let it come back down to a, a good, like you were saying earlier, you'd rather shoot for 20% and get 12. But when my rehab numbers come in bad. So that is really how I, I kind of do it. Some of my contractors can get a little like frustrated or not understand it. Like I'm like, I want you to leave that dirty carpet. <laughs> yeah. It's a, I'm comfortable with that. And that's because I want everyone that wants that carpet taken care of for them to say, I don't want this place. So I just qualify. I had people disqualify themselves on 90% of the people that see our places. I want very few really good applicants that are come in and say, can I replace that carpet? Now they have a little of their own into it. And now it's their carpet yeah. and they take more pride in it. And it, we just, we get along real well that way. I mean, that's a, I mean, I've never really heard that business model before, but I actually really think it makes a lot of sense because now you're, I guess it goes along with the same argument as to why people would like to just rent out the pads in a mobile home park and let people bring in their homes. Cause it, like if they come in and they're doing some of that rehab work, they are invested in it They're So they're, mm -hmm. you're going to have far less turnover you know, someone's not going to come in and say, I'm going to replace the carpet and paint and do this stuff and then move out in a year, right? Like, they, like yeah. they might in a, you know, an apartment or something like that. So that's a, that's a really clever idea that I, I honestly have never heard that before. So I think that's a pretty, do you, do you ever like give them the option to sort of rent to own or something like that? Have you, have you done any of that? Yeah, we've done a little bit of that. Uh, that's really done on the property that I don't want to keep long-term. Or it has a lot of that headache that I talked about. And the property's going to need a lot of maintenance. So now I'm just going to sell that headache to the person that's going to live there. So we have done a little bit of it. You know, it's not my big goal. I did more of it as I was growing because 
I didn't have the best management system at the time. So, I, and I couldn't build everything at once. Yeah. So I kind of left some, we'll say left money on the table. I gave someone else the money because they took care of the property. They got a deal. I got a deal because I was able to grow faster. Yeah. So yeah, we have done a little bit. I, I, I want to rewind just a tiny bit to that management idea that I talked about and finding the in-person you, because you brought up Airbnbs. So the exact opposite, I'll say thought process I usually bring up is Airbnbs. You're going to look for who's going to want to be there. You talked about that luxury. So that's maybe people that are going to be in a mastermind. You might have seven, eight, 10, 15 guys there. They probably want a little game room. So you need a room big enough that you can put a little arcade or ping pong. And now that attracts that person that wants to go and be there and have an environment experience and have a pool where I don't want any of that. And you would set it up maybe where it's close to some breweries or close to a convention center or whatever it is, you're going to look for that in person. So it's the same thought process of who is actually going to spend money here and take care of this place. What do they want? And let's go look for that property. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a knowing what your avatar is, right. Is, is a really uh, important, whether that's, you know, who you think your tenant's going to be or, like if you're raising capital, who you're talking to on the capital raising side, it's just, you have to know your audience probably in anything, even, you know, you're, you're doing, you're speaking on a stage at a conference, whatever it is, you need to know who you're speaking to. Uh, if you write a book, <laughs> then you need to know who you're writing that book for. And and I use that example because you have written a book. So you want to talk about that a little bit, Adrian, tell us, tell us about your book. Yeah, I've got a book It's called how to buy mobile homes, kept the title real simple. And it is a story of how I started as that evicted tenant I mentioned. And I went to being able to be financially free and traveling around because of the cash flow that the mobile homes have created. And throughout my story, I teach you about mobile homes. I teach you what I'm doing, you know, what to look for, the straps, the tie downs, the HUD data plate. I talk about all that. It's a fun, simple read. Uh, and to brag a little bit, which I'm working on getting better at. Anyways, I have friends calling me out saying I'm not brag. It is an Amazon bestseller. I am a, awesome. a bestseller. It was, I learned a lot through the process. It was fun. And you can pick it up on Amazon just by searching mobile homes and Adrian's mood. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely put that in the show notes, but uh, yeah, people should, should for sure check out the book. Um, let's, let's switch gears a little bit, Adrian, and we'll, we'll get to the part of the show where I uh, ask you the questions that I ask every guest and can expound upon them as well. Um, so the first one is just based on the name of the show being know your why. And so I always ask each guest, what is your why? What drives you towards this success? What, what kind of keeps, keeps pushing you forward? Mine is spreading happiness, joy, and inspiring others that they can do it too. That is my overall why. And every piece of my business has to filter back to that. We're buying properties. We have to leave that person happier. Our contractors, they have to have a happier and joyful experience by dealing with us. Our residents, and then anyone I'm selling my book to, everyone has to leave feeling happier and more joyful than they called us or originally talked to us. I love it. I love that. That's a fantastic message to put out there and, and uh, you know, approach to 
to whatever you do. So that's, that's awesome. Um, second question is tell us something about yourself that is not common knowledge, like a special skill, a hobby, whatever you're, whatever you're comfortable sharing. Probably adult coloring books. And I'm not talking about like where the maybe perverted mind has gone adult coloring books. They're coloring books for adults. It can be, I would say more of the risque one I've ever done is animals pooping. Yeah. And they're just drawings of that. And But some of them, one I have right now, honestly, I haven't touched it in a month or two, is Hal Elrod. He's one of my favorite mentors I've never met. But he has an affirmation coloring book. And you're coloring and you're focusing on the affirmation. And I just enjoy them. They're, they're actually great to put a podcast on and then sit there and just kind of mindlessly color. And I use gel glitter pens. But I, I know of these because my wife likes them as well. I've never really gotten into it. My, my kids like coloring books and I'll color with them, but, but yeah, my wife has, she she just says it's very relaxing, right? It's just something to do to, to kind of, you know, lower your stress level. I love the idea of, of, uh, you know, kind of a, Hal, Hal Elrod affirmations type coloring book that would be you know sort of multifaceted uh you know mindset improving I think that's a really cool thing um where can people reach you when they looks like we've got some some things on the screen but where do you want people to reach you when they hear this and they're they're interested in uh you know kind of talking to you or connecting the easiest place is go to adriansmood.com, A-D-R-I-A-N-S-M as in Mary, U-D as in dog, E.com. And that's really a landing page. It's going to push you to two different places. One, my education, which is the lifestyle REI. It's because I set the lifestyle up first and then build yeah. the business. And that's what I like to speak and teach on. But then it's also my buying business. And I buy in a very, very tight little area in Florida, which is probably not going to be almost anyone that's listening want to sell me something. But the reason I think you should go follow it is all I've done with my marketing is followed other people, taken it and regurgitated it and made it my own. So I think people should do that with mine and with tons of other people. Just follow. We're not competition. I don't think of it is follow, look at it. If it relates to you, take it and make it your own little personality and reuse it. Shortcut it. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's really good advice to take find someone who's doing what you want to do and just emulate that. You don't have to, I mean, put your own spin on it, but you don't have to, you know, sort of, there's, there's a, a certain, a finite number of ideas in, you know, things that can happening in marketing space and and whatnot. And so just seeing how someone might be doing that, uh, doing that well, you know, you can use those ideas and, and, you know, put them into your own business. So um, that's great. And we'll get all of that in the show notes, including um, your book so that people will have easy access there. Um, Final question for you. What advice would you give to someone who's starting out in real estate, uh, you know, trying to get going and, and how would you direct them or, or how would you advise them in terms of trying, you know, trying to reach the level of success that you have. Take massive imperfect action and then ask for help. And that has actually been my theme this year. I I realize I've done a decent amount of that in my time, but this year has been my main focus is I commit to stuff. I set dates for classes and then I don't even have a class made. And then I ask for help. Yeah, I really, there's a lot of people out there that want to help people. They're taking some type of action. 
have tons of mentors and I do the same thing that they will give everything and help, help, help. And they don't get burned out when the person says, I tried what you said last month and this is what happened. Can you give me some more advice? I know lots of people do that for free. Obviously there's lots of paid. I, I pay lots of people for coaching and, but people will do that for free. People want to help people that are eager to learn and really doing something. So take massive imperfect action, get some education, but then just go take action on it. I, I love that spin on it. You hear a lot of people say, take massive action. I love, I love that you say imperfect because so many people are held up by needing it to be perfect, needing to get just right. And that they don't actually take the action. So just, just go ahead and do it. And, and when I say so many people, I'm also including myself in that. So I'm not, <laughs> Me too. I'm, not a, I'm not above the, being one to, to hold myself back, trying, trying to make it perfect. So uh, it's something that I need to work on as well. So yeah, I will, I will take that advice to heart for sure. But yeah, take massive imperfect action and then ask for help is a fantastic, you know, piece of advice. I, I love that. Um, Adrian, this was awesome. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate all that you shared. I, I, find this you know very intriguing what you're doing it's a pretty cool um space and and truly no one else has i don't know that i've heard anyone talk about it really uh almost anywhere so i'm i appreciate you being on and and would be being able to share this with my listeners so so thank you very much you're welcome i appreciate you having me on and i appreciate you having the podcast because you're getting information out there honestly i'm too lazy to have a podcast but i enjoy jumping on here and I believe that more of us need to get good education out there. And you're doing the hard work. I'm coming on and having fun. You're doing the hard work of hosting it, of getting it edited, making sure everything works right. You know, your team that helps all that. You do all the hard work. So thank you for doing that for everyone that listens. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, I, I think it, this is good because of the guests like yourself. So, so thank you. And I guess having said that, uh, please, if you like this episode, um, go ahead and and uh, rate it, leave a comment, like it, subscribe, do do all of the things that help us get more outreach so we can educate more people and get them into investing. Uh, but on that note, uh, have a great day, everyone, and uh, we will talk again. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.